Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this morning and turning, please, to the book of Philippians, the first chapter, Philippians chapter 1, as we continue our finding and discovering joy for our journey in what is known as the Epistle of Joy, the letter to the church at Philippi. In recent weeks, we've discovered that there's joy to be found in community, especially those communities who align themselves with what is revealed here in the first verses of the book of Philippians, a community where humility is evident. Paul and Timotheus call themselves in verse 1 servants or doulos, slaves of Jesus Christ, evidencing a spirit of humility. A spirit of inclusivity is seen in verse 1, for you remember But this little letter is written to all the saints who are in Christ Jesus. No one is left out. And a diverse congregation this is. And so diversity is necessary if we would find joy in community. For the Philippians, this meant a wealthy Jewess by the name of Lydia, as well as it would mean a jailer who'd come to Christ as Savior even after he'd been responsible for the incarnation of the Apostle Paul. Those communities that know joy are communities that are known for humility and inclusivity and diversity and identity. Their identity and ours needs to be as well as in Christ Jesus in a local place there called Philippi and here for our local place called Indianapolis. But most importantly, we have our identity. If we've come to know Jesus Christ as our Savior, we identify with brothers and sisters who are in the faith, who are in Christ, living lives of dependency. So the Apostle Paul is going to say in verse 2, grace and peace be unto you. There's never going to be peace until the Lord's grace has been received. We're dependent upon that grace and that peace. And the Apostle Paul celebrates as he writes to the Philippians the intimacy of interaction that he knows. This is not an anonymous congregation to him. This is a congregation that he knows intimately. And so he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, He says, for you all, making request with joy. Our focus this morning is going to be on a very special verse. We look past verse 5 where we discover the fellowship of the gospel from the first day until now. Paul rejoices in that. And then he says something very special in Philippians 1 and verse 6. This is a verse that needs to be marked in your Bible, and this is a verse that needs to mark your heart. Philippians 1 and verse 6 is a verse that introduces us to the joy of, of security, the joy of security. So I want us to read this verse aloud together. Philippians 1 and verse 6 is this morning, we find joy in the security that only God can give, spiritual security that's found in Jesus Christ our Savior. Philippians 1, verse 6, let's read it aloud together, please. Being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. How many think we could do a little bit better on that? I think I can. Can you help me out with it? Philippians 1 verse 6, all together, here we go. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look into his word this morning. Father, now I pray that you'd give us an urgency about considering your word and the blessing of your spirit along the way. We thank you that the security that we enjoy, the security of our souls and of our salvation, is not by our own merit, but has been provided for us by the Spirit of God, through the blood of Jesus Christ, our Savior.
by the wonderful promises of your word so that we need not fear, but that we can know that we know that we know that we're saved. So I pray, Lord, that you'd bless your word this morning. Help it to go down deeply in our hearts and help us to richly experience your grace as we consider the wonderful things that you've given to us to enjoy. May the Spirit of God be our teacher this morning. May we go out from this place loving you more, better able to be ambassadors for you because we've discovered truths in your word that solidify our journey and make us secure. And we'll thank you for it, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. The story is told of a little boy who was standing outside of town when a car pulled up one day and the window of the car came down and a man inside the fancy automobile looked at the little boy and said, little boy, can you tell me which direction should I go to get into town? And the little boy said, I don't know. The man in the car said, well, is this Route 20? The little boy said, I don't know. And the man said, well, is this the road that's going into town? The little boy said, I don't know. The man said, well, what's the name of this road? And the little boy said, I don't know. And the man inside the car looked at the little boy and said, well, do you know anything? The little boy looked at him and said, well, I know I ain't lost. <laughs> Good answer. There are many things that we all confess we don't know. But there's one thing we need to know for certain. We need to know that we're not lost. We need to be certain that we're saved. We all need to be certain that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, has been placed upon our account and that we will stand before Him at last in eternity to sing His praises free from pain and sin and sorrow. Will you be among the redeemed and the rejoicing? God wants you to find security. God wants you to know that you're saved. God wants you to have confidence that you're a child of God. God wants you to be sure about your eternal position and that He has an eternal plan for you. When we open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and look at the sixth verse carefully, we discover that the Spirit of God is speaking about the past and the Spirit of God is speaking about the present. We discover the Spirit of God is also speaking about what is prophetic or what is in prospect. What do you mean, Pastor Phelps? Well, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 is a verse that speaks of having confidence. It speaks of having security. It's a, a verse that ministers security to the saints. And we discover in this verse that security for the saints in times past is promised. We are confident of this very thing, that he which began, now we're speaking in the past, of the confidence that we can have in what he has promised for us. He began a good work in us. And the security of the saint is enlarged in the present. For he says he's begun this good work in us, and he speaks of that good work continuing even now, even as we gather to hear God's word being preached and to sing his praises and to bow before him in prayer, he's continuing that good work in us. And it speaks in prospect, this verse. It speaks of the day, the wonderful day of Jesus Christ. The security that's being presented to us here has ramifications in the past and in the present and in prospect or in the future as we consider that that good work is going to be performed. God wants us to have joy 
in our spiritual security. And Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 presents this joy to us in a very wonderful way. You see, there's a promise in this verse. There's a promise in this verse upon which you can rely. We need to take a moment and put Philippians 1 and verse 6 into its context. As we put this verse into its context, we'll remember that the Apostle Paul is in a Roman prison. He's writing from a place of incarceration. The church in Philippi has sent a representative to the Apostle Paul with a gift. The man that they sent, his name is Epaphroditus. We're going to learn about him later in this letter. The Apostle Paul receives the gift from Epaphroditus and he sends Epaphroditus back to the church in Philippi. He has really, I think, three reasons for writing this letter. He writes to let the church in Philippi know that while he's incarcerated, he's still rejoicing. He's doing well and he wants them to rejoice as well. He writes to thank them very practically for the gift that they have given to him. And also he writes to challenge the church to be unified. He's going to speak about unity in Philippians chapter 2, and he's going to speak about it again in Philippians 4 and verse 1, where he says, I beseech you, Yodas and Syntyche, two ladies from the church of Philippi, that you be of the same mind. But as we open our Bibles to Philippians chapter 1 and set verse 6 in its context, you'll remember that this church has long been generous with the Apostle Paul. And so in verse 3, he says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. What does he remember? He remembers that when he came to Philippi, a lady by the riverside, her name was Lydia, came to Christ as Savior, and she invited Paul into her home and became his benefactor. That lady had long given gifts to the Apostle Paul. He thanks God for that remembrance. He remembers that when he left Philippi, he went to Thessalonica, when he got to Thessalonica twice, the church at Philippi sent him financial gifts to help him in his ministry, and so he remembers that. And he remembers now that they have sent him a gift through Epaphroditus to help him while he's incarcerated there in Rome. And we read in verse 4, in every prayer of his, he's always making requests with joy for their fellowship, their koinonia. And he's speaking very practically in the immediate He's speaking about the gifts that they've just sent, gifts that he's just received, this fellowship in the gospel, gifts that were meant to help him to share the gospel with others, even in Rome. He thanks them for those gifts. He's very practical. But there's an ultimate reason for thanksgiving that goes beyond the immediate. The immediate reason for thanksgiving, they sent him gifts. But the ultimate reason for thanksgiving that the Apostle Paul speaks of in verse 6 is this. He's confident. Confident of what? Of this very thing, that the one who began a good work in them. Well, who began a good work in them? Well, God did, of course. God began a good work in the church at Philippi. And the Apostle Paul is confident that God is going to continue that work. God brought them from being unbelievers to make them believers, from being unsaved to being saved. And now the Apostle Paul is ultimately rejoicing with wonderful confidence that these in Philippi, who know the good work that God has done, should know also, as you should too, that God is going to perform that good work. The one who began the good work in you will perform it even unto the day of Jesus Christ. This is the promise upon which they can rely. And the Apostle Paul is supremely confident as he shares the words of verse 6. So confident that he uses an interesting word, it's the Greek word pytho. 
And the word pytho that's translated here, confident, was a word that was typically used in the court when a judge had considered all of the evidence, the judge came to a conclusion, a settled conclusion. And so the Apostle Paul immediately begins this verse by saying you can come to this settled conclusion. He's saying that when it comes to the matter of our salvation, it's not a a guesswork thing. It's not a hope-so thing. It's a certainty thing, and it's a certainty thing that's based on all the evidence that's been presented God does not want you to wonder, am I saved or am I lost? God wants you to know with specific and wonderful certainty that you're his child and that he has a home for you in heaven. 1 John 5 and verse 13 says, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. You can know that. And the Apostle Paul is speaking of the reliance that we can have on that wonderful promise. He looks back and he says, he's begun this good work in you. As we look at this verse, we understand that in essence, there are two promises here. When we break it down and look in the past, we understand that there's a promise that God has initiated the work of your salvation. He began the good work in you. What a wonderful thing for us to consider that God initiated the work of our salvation. Now listen, there are times that we will say, or hear people say, I found Jesus, I came to Jesus, or they'll say, I decided to follow Jesus, or I gave my life to Jesus. And speaking from that perspective, or from our perspective, that's a wonderful thing to be able to testify when we look back on the day when we came to Jesus Christ as Savior. 2,000 years ago, resonating from the prison cell in Philippi, came the voice of the Apostle Paul, and it resonates today. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. And today, you can believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, that he died for you, that he was buried and rose again, and and then you will be saved. This passage is speaking about something other than my receiving, my accepting, my believing. This passage is speaking about God initiating that work. Look a little bit more carefully at verse 6, being confident, having that certain knowledge of this very thing that he which hath begun. I've circled the word begun in this passage because it's a unique word. In the original language, it's only used twice in the Greek New Testament. It's used here and it's used in Galatians 3 and verse 3, this word begun. In Galatians 3 and verse 3, it says, having begun in the Spirit, Will you now be made perfect in the flesh? Here it's speaking in relationship to the beginning of our salvation. Being confident of this very thing that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. This word, both times it's used, speaks of God beginning the work of salvation. This word is a very unusual word. It's a word that Paul pulls from his vocabulary of understanding how the mystery religions work how the religions of the Grecians worked. And they had a specific word when they began their religious ceremony. When they began their sacrifice or their ceremony, it was said that they began the ceremony. Here is that very word. And so the Apostle Paul is using a very specific word. He's using a word that speaks of the activity of God in beginning the process of their salvation and beginning from the moment of their salvation on to the consummation of their salvation, he began this work. He wants them to think this way and he wants you to think this way. Do you remember, he's saying to the Philippians, how that 
Lydia came to Christ there by the riverside. And do you remember how the jailer came to Christ when the earthquake happened? How that God orchestrated that earthquake to bring that jailer to Christ? Do you remember how that damsel had her sins cast out and the demons cast out and how she perhaps is now with you? How God has been doing this good work, how he initiated it, how he sent me to Philippi and how he sent the earthquake. God did that initiatory work. So he is saying to them, there's something that you can rejoice in. Well, what's that? You can rejoice in this because God did the initiation of the work. You can assume and understand that God will conclude the work. Because God is the one who initiated it. Because God commended his love toward us and that while we're yet sinners, we can have confidence. You say, I don't really understand. Well, let, let me explain it. There might be somebody in the room this morning some man who got up early, who did the only thing he knows how to do in the kitchen, and that's make pancakes. He started the griddle, he got the griddle hot, put the coffee on, got all things ready, even set the table. That's a big deal. And then he called to the family, hey, why don't you come in? I've, I've made breakfast for you now. If the guys didn't do it, maybe one of the ladies did. And when you come in and sit down at the breakfast table to enjoy that meal, you can know that the father who prepared the meal or the wife who prepared that meal wants you to enjoy it. How do you know? Somebody initiated the work of putting that meal together so you can now come and enjoy it. In much the same way, what we're learning here is God initiated the work of your salvation so you can enjoy it. He began this good work in you. He initiated it, and more than that, He is even now orchestrating the work of your salvation. He began this good work in you. The word good there is a word that's often understood to mean noble. You see, before you were saved, God was working around you and on you. But now God is working in you. And he's working in you to provide this wonderful change to make you into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, your Savior. I heard the story of an old country preacher who was being ordained. And at his ordination, they asked him, about his salvation experience. And he said something like this, well, when it comes to salvation, I guess I kind of did my part and God kind of did his. Well, that surprised the more educated men in the room and so they thought they'd probe a little bit more deeply and they said, could you explain what exactly your part in the salvation process was? And he said, well, my part was to run as fast as I could and God's part was to come and catch me. That's exactly right. He began the good work in you. Praise God. He initiated it when he sent the Lord Jesus Christ into this world to die for sinners. He orchestrated it when he put you into a place where you could hear the gospel and respond to the gospel. And while it's wonderful to be able to say, I accepted Christ as Savior, it's more securing to know this, that the Lord that we serve this morning gives to us a promise upon which we rely. He is doing the work of saving us. And I can count on that. Hallelujah. Being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you. Friend, if you've not come to Christ as Savior, I trust this morning that you'll turn to him and away from your sin and know the blessing of the work that God is willing to do. He did it in the past for the Philippians and for many in this room they could testify, he did it in the past for me when I came to Christ being confident that it was this very thing, that he which had begun a good work in you will perform it.
And now we're looking at a process that's ongoing right now by which we grow. He who began the good work will perform it. The beginning of the good work, that's the past. The performing of the good work, that's the present. And the process that he's speaking of here is progressive. What he did in the past, he did once. When you came to Christ as Savior, that's a once and for all transaction. Old things are passed away and all things become new. But after having come to Christ as Savior, he is performing a good work in you. We call that sanctification. Before we're saved, God works on us. When we're saved, God works in us. After we're saved, God works through us. And it's very important to see the little word you in verse 6 and ask the question, does that include me? Are you confident that God has begun a good work in you? If you're confident that God has begun a good work in you, you can be supremely confident in this. He will continue it. He will continue it. We don't gain, you see, our salvation by our good works, do we? It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. It's according to His mercy He saves us. The Word of God makes it very clear. For by grace He is saved through faith. And it's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. So when you're saved, you receive the gift of your salvation. You know what? Just as you can't be saved by your own merit, your own work, you can't grow and be sanctified. You can't grow and be sanctified by your own merit, and by your own work. Take your Bible and turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. The Apostle Paul is going to enlarge on this in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 13 when he says, For it's God which works in you both to will and to do His good pleasure. So at the moment of your salvation, the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you. And as the Spirit of God comes to dwell within you, he begins doing that work of transforming you, sometimes through difficult days, sometimes through glad times, but all the while with this wonderful purpose, chiseling upon you the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does this work. Be confident in it, that he which began the good work in you will perform it. He's performing it right now. Sometimes we fail, and we should never make light of that. Sometimes we even enter into sin. God chastens us and brings us back. But all the while, He has a purpose in us to make us to be like Christ so that we can be presented before Him at last without spot or wrinkle or any such thing. Have you ever seen the bumper sticker or perhaps the button that says PBPGIFWMY? I think people are supposed to ask, well, what's that all about? And the answer to the question is, it stands for, please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. That's true. Please be patient. God is not finished with me yet. There are times we look in the mirror of our soul and we say, I'm so disappointed. And we become discouraged in our journey, weary along the way. Philippians 1 and verse 6 says, hey, you can understand that God who initiated this work, God who orchestrates this work, is even now performing this work, and the process that he's performing will one day be permanent. There'll be permanently a change that's been placed upon you. He will perform it, verse 6. Another interesting word. That word to perform 
comes from the word which we get our word telescope. The Greek teleo means to look toward the end. We make plans and mess up. God makes a plan and always fulfills it. So in Philippians 1 and verse 6 when he says, being confident of this very thing, that he which began this good work in you will perform it, he's looking toward the end. He's looking toward the destiny that we will enjoy when permanently that sanctification that's being accomplished will be turned into glorification when permanently you will be apart from sin. Remember how I said that word begun, a lot of words to look at in verse 6. How I said that word begun spoke of a religious ceremony, the initiation of a sacrifice and a religious ceremony. Well, the word perform, similarly, comes from the vocabulary of religious ceremonies in the Grecian world. It's a technical word. As the word begun spoke of a religious ceremony that's beginning, the word that's there at the end, to perform, comes technically from the same vocabulary. It means the end of the sacrifice. And so with two little words, the Spirit of God is weaving together this one clear message. Here's the message. God began the work of salvation. God's going to conclude the work of salvation. Just as it's one ceremony and one sacrifice and one religious service with one special purpose, even so God has a special purpose that He's doing in your life right now. There's a children's song. It goes like this. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. Took him just a week to make the moon and the stars, Jupiter and Earth, the sun and Mars. How loving and patient he must be because he's still working on me. This passage shares a promise upon which we can rely. He began the good work in you. That's his initiatory work to bring you to Christ. He will perform it. That's the ongoing work right now that he's doing, the process by which you and I can grow to be more like Christ. And the end of this passage speaks of the future. It speaks of a prospect. A prospect. It's a prospect for which we ought to long. Look at the little phrase that ends verse 6. Until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ. What's he speaking of? Well, he's speaking of the glorious appearing of Jesus Christ when he comes for his church. If you've been in the adult Bible fellowships recently you know that there's been a lot of focus on defining and looking into what does it mean the day of the Lord that's used 19 or 20 times in the Old Testament. This is not the day of the Lord that's being spoken of in verse 6. No, instead, this is the day of Jesus Christ. It's the day of anticipation. It's the day of our glorification. It's the day when the church rises triumphant to be with the Savior. Stuart Briscoe calls it the inevitable day of divine triumph. The day when the church will be complete and Christ will come in great glory. He who began this good work in you will perform it when? Until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the prospect for which we long when we will live with Jesus. We will live with Jesus. How do you know? Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. Where I am, there you may be also. For the Christian, there's no uncertainty about destiny. God wants us to be secure of this. God wants us to know that the one who began the good work in you will perform it. Absolute certainty. 
Just as secure as the sacrifice began and the sacrifice will end, that that religious ceremony opened up and that religious ceremony will close, even so he'll perform it until the day of Jesus Christ when the dead in Christ will rise and we which are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. That's what this passage is talking about. It's a day that we look for. For we look for Jesus. I've heard people ask, will babies be in heaven? And will they be babies there? I remember being in a camp setting once years ago and a teenager asked that question of someone who was there and unfortunately I don't think the person gave the right answer. This passage speaks in prospect of the day that we long for, the day of Jesus Christ. And I believe when that day comes, we're going to look like Jesus. How do you know that, Pastor Phelps? Look how Paul enlarges on that in Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 20. See, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6 is almost like a key that opens up a lot of the other revelation that's in the book of Philippians. We're confident of the day of Jesus Christ, that that day is coming. And in Philippians chapter 3, we read in verse 20, our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven, from whence we also look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto His glorious body, according to the working whereby He's even able to subdue all things unto Himself. There's an old southern song that says, I'll have a new body, praise the Lord, I'll have a new life. I love that song. We'll all have a new body. If you have a, a problem with your body image, you won't anymore. How do you know? Well, the Bible says he's going to change our body that will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. So let's answer the question, will babies be babies in heaven? Was Jesus a baby when he rose from the tomb? Every person that stands before him at last will be fashioned like unto his glorious body. When Jesus rose from the tomb, they could shut the doors and he could come through the walls. He could eat even the honeycomb and the fish that was being shared with the disciples. And you know what? He never had to worry about gaining weight. I'm looking forward to my new body. How about you? He ascended up in that visible, heavenly body. And one day, every single one of the redeemed will have redeemed, glorified bodies. Confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's the day we long for. That's the day that we look for. That's the day in which we will look like Jesus. There's a promise upon which you can rely. He began the good work in you. There's a process by which you grow. He's going to perform it. There's a prospect for which we long until the day of Jesus Christ. So I asked this morning, are you secure in your salvation? Is there a time that you can look back in your life when you can say, he began that good work in me then? You must be born again, is the message of God's word. There's a time that I can look back to when God took old things away and all things became new and he's begun this process. I'm not claiming perfection, but I am saying God's not done with me yet. And when he's done with me at last, praise God, I'm going to look like Jesus. 
I'm going to live with Jesus. I'm going to be with Jesus. And I'm confident of this very thing. Hey, friend, do you know that real joy, even in hopeless times, comes when we have security, that we're anchored on what God has given to us, every chapter, every verse, and every line, so that we can know that God wants us to find joy and security. So he said to us, we know that we know that we know that we can be saved. We know that he's going to do a work. He's doing the work. Just as surely as he saves us, he sanctifies us to fit us at last to stand before him, the redeemed. Are you part of that company? If not, I trust this morning you'll come to Christ as Savior. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. I'm on the Colonial Hills Podcast.